Hello and welcome back to Units of World War II. I'm your host, Christopher Hahn, and we are going to pick up right where we left off in part one. In part one, I covered a brief World War I history of the 4th Infantry Division and then continued on through their training in the U.S. and then finally their first action at D-Day and then the couple weeks following D-Day. And I stopped right before uh, they kind of move into the hedgerows. That's where we're going to pick up here in part two. Uh, if you want to listen to part one first, please go ahead and do so. Uh, if you don't, if you want to just jump right in, I'm fine with that too. So here we go. So the 4th ID spent a little over a week occupying Cherbourg. They couldn't spend a lot of time resting or even training replacements that were there to fill in the gaps to bring them back up to full strength. So replacements, they're exactly as they sound. It's just extra troops to, f to fill in the gaps after the D-Day invasion. They're obviously, they're going to be brand new soldiers, so they're not going to be as experienced. But with the 4th ID, they're all not as experienced because they just had their first taste of combat at D-Day. Just south of them, the attack of the 90th Infantry Division was starting, so not even the artillery fire caught a break. On July 6, 1944, elements of the 4th moved into position of the 83rd Division before launching an attack through the Hedgerows country just west of Carentan. The land of this area was made up of large swamps, making it hard for any type of army to cross. The swampy terrain helped the Germans defend, as they could just dig themselves right into the hedgerows that zigzagged through the countryside. And referencing actually George Wilson's memoirs about his time, um, he talks about kind of the tactics that were used to get through these hedgerows. So that book again is If He Survived by George Wilson, highly recommend it. So he describes the tactics. Um, tanks were usually used to spread out and move forward towards hedgerows, spraying them with machine gun fire. The tanks were followed by infantry, um, obviously the infantry is using the tanks as cover. And once they were close enough, the tanks would raise their fire a little higher while infantry stayed low and moved towards the hedgerows, throwing grenades. Then the tanks would plow through while infantry would fan out and capture any remaining enemies. At first, the US tanks were pretty vulnerable to the dirt mounds and the hedgerows as they would just tilt up, exposing the soft underbelly of the tank. So to counter this, they welded on sharp bumpers to the front of the tank that used to be train rails. These train rails would slice out a chunk of the hedge which allowed the tank to burst through and take the Germans by surprise. So the first day's gains on these hedgerows were only 400 yards. Another seven days later, they had crossed four miles. This slow conquest was full of ambushes, artillery, tanks, and machine guns. The fourth idea was essentially forced down certain corridors in which the Germans were waiting. There's actually kind of a neat story. Um, during George's time here in the hedgerows, uh, he and his men actually had steaks from a cow that was hit by a mortar. Um, so the cooks were close enough that, that the meat was still stayed fresh. And of course, the steaks were an amazing break from rations. There was supposed to be air support during this time, but the weather kept on postponing or canceling such plans. After fighting through a point near Perrier, the division was pulled and prepared for a great breakthrough. Up until July 25, 1944, Allied armies only had limited objectives, which were creating a beachhead and capturing a port to supply further operations. There were other gains being made, but the costs were already heavy. It was becoming a war of attrition. 
major blow had to be dealt to the German army in order to push them back and to launch all troops amassing in Normandy further into France. Near St. Lo, there was to be an aerial assault followed by a ground advance. This was to punch a hole in the enemy line, allowing the 3rd U.S. Army to pour through. The push was to be made by the 7th Corps, with the 4th ID in the center, the 9th on the right, and the 30th on the left. On July 25, 1944, 3,000 planes set out to pound the German front lines. The attack began at 0940, 940 in the morning, with dive bombers followed by heavy bombers. 4th ID got a front row seat from their positions just a thousand yards back from the nearest target. This created a massive rolling cloud of dust that rolled back over the waiting infantry. The next wave of bombers mistook this as the signal for their next targets and dropped their bombs over friendlies. Men of the 4th ID were killed and injured from friendly bombs. There were actually over 800 that were killed or wounded. Despite this, they jumped off at 1100 from their positions a thousand yards north of St. Lo Perrier Highway. The attack gained speed and gained about 2.5 kilometers by midnight. The 4th ID continued fighting and kept making significant gains. They even fought into the night, becoming engaged in running fights with the columns of Germans fleeing under the cover of darkness. A large contingent of German forces formed along the west side of the dagger, pushing in. Part of the division was deployed to contain that force, which was centering around Carcy La Salle. Several days later, the Germans attacked, but were stopped and over 2,000 of them were taken prisoner. The rest of the division continued its drive. At this point, the Germans were putting up little resistance with small arms fire. There weren't really any defended positions left. They were low in morale and confused. It was because of this that General Barton wanted any resistance to essentially be passed up. He didn't want any time or lives wasted trying to suppress minimal resistance. He just wanted to keep pushing. The German high command tried to put up a defensive line at Ville Dio and running through Tessie and Percy. Ville Dio fell with hardly a shot being fired. The other two, not so much. The battles went back and forth for the next 24 to 48 hours. By August 2nd, a major hole had been ripped through the German line. Parts of the 1st and 3rd Army were on a roll for Avraches. The quarter had now been formed with the sea on one side and the 4th ID on the other. It would become imperative for the 4th ID to hold open this corridor. To keep this corridor open, the entire strength of the division was thrown at the German defensive line. The Germans tended to fight all day and then withdraw at night. And they formed their defenses along a line of hills running east and parallel to the road from Villedio to St. Poix. Hill 213 and Hill 211 became major battlegrounds. Hill 211 actually overlooked St. Poi, which was an escape route for the Germans. Hill 211 was taken, and from there, the 4th ID could observe the retreating enemy columns. This was the beginning of the German retreat across northern France. Artillery and mortar fire rained down upon the retreating Germans. Many of them didn't make the retreat. This would mark almost two full weeks of continuous fighting for the 4th ID. On August 6th, Germans launched a counterattack aimed at Avranches. These were not very well organized, but still deadly. The 30th ID in Mortain was hit hard. During the night into the early morning, the Germans advanced west on the south bank of the Sea River with a large force of infantry and tanks. 
they were headed towards Avranches to try and cut the American forces in half. The 4th ID was put back into battle and stopped the Germans' drive. Then, a 4th ID combat team was attached to the 30th ID to aid in regaining its position in Mortain and rescuing a lost battalion which had been surrounded there. This combat team was relieved on August 13th after the German counteroffensive had been defeated. Now, the 4th ID would get a rest. Beginning on August 22nd of 1944, they drove through Chartres and onto the Orpojol Corbel area, just south of Paris. The situation in and around Paris was still confusing at the time. On August 25th of 1944, the 4th ID and the 2nd French Armored Division were ordered to take Paris. Through sporadic small arms fire, they were able to reach the center of the city by noon. Paris was now free after four years of harsh Nazi occupation. This was obviously a joyous occasion, with men receiving hugs, kisses, wines, and other expressions of appreciation. And actually, George Wilson tells that there were French tank drivers that were so drunk that they couldn't keep their tanks in a straight line. And he also stated that he shook so many hands that his arm ached. But this was still very confusing. Um, there wasn't Paris wasn't fully liberated yet. Germans were still in the area, and they were literally just streets or neighborhoods away while this huge celebration was going on. I don't know if you've seen Bander Brothers, but uh, they show this briefly. Uh, women were convicted in about five minutes of being collaborators. So if they either slept with Germans or did any sort of collaboration with the Germans, um, they were put on a very short trial and convicted. And their heads were shaved. They were forced to march through the streets. And this actually reminded George of an occasion in Normandy um, where they had to shoot a French woman because she was firing at them. The father of her children was a German soldier, and he was killed right in the yard of their farmhouse. After the short celebrations, the 4th continued on north to take advantage of this breakthrough moment. They were called upon to go as far north as Mons, Belgium, to gather the remnants of the fleeing German 7th. The 4th continued to roll despite running on reserve rations, reserve gas, without maps, and very low ammo. This low supply chain, or slow supply chain you will actually see, continue to build up through the war and up until the end. Uh, this is actually, so we had, we had all the supplies and everything, just tons and tons of it. It just, we were moving, the Allies were moving so fast through Europe that it was just almost impossible to keep the supply chain up and running. So that's why, even though the 4th is only at the end of August now, so they've been there for two months, roughly, they're already running on reserve everything. By September 3rd of 1944, they had reached St. Quentin, La Cateau, and La Richesse. On September 4th, 5th, and 6th, they turned eastward in a final sweep across the Meuse River and Belgium border, and headed towards the German border and the Siegfried Line. And the Siegfried Line will be the next big chunk that we will cover, um, so I will save that for the next part, part three, so I can kind of keep this in small, easy to digest pieces. 
Uh, if you have any questions about any of this that I've covered so far, please feel free to email me, or if there's something I got wrong, or something technical I got wrong. I'm only human, so I'm sure it's it's going to happen. Also point those out to me, too. Again, thank you for listening, and tune in next time.